This call is being recorded. All right. Hi, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to Sustainable Business Friday, brought to you by the Bard MBA in Sustainability. I'm uh, Jeff Leatherwood. I'm an alum of the Bard program and um, happy to be here hosting. And today we are going to be uh, lucky enough to speak with Margaret Fenwick from the uh, UN Global Compact. And interviewing her will be two current Bard students, Simon Fishweiker and Sam Levine. So, Sam, you are a first-year uh, Bard MBA student. Is that is that true? That's correct. So, tell me in ten words what brought you to the Bard MBA program. Um, well, I spent some time working in uh, in government, and um, while I think there, there's a great role for government to play, I've been very interested in it's, how that. Sorry, how it's already is. you've already passed ten words. I was I was trying oh, to keep boy. this this brief, but um, but continue. Um, just uh, trying to see um, how big of an impact the private sector can play in solving um, environmental issues. Excellent. Sounds great. So the BARD program, as many of you know, some of you may not, is a partial residency program. It's also a very, um, it's a very hands-on program. When I was in the program, I worked on a uh, project with uh, UBS Bank as part of the first year uh, NYC Lab program. So Sam, uh, Sam rather, uh, what is your, what uh, NYC Lab project are you working on? Uh, I'm working on a communications project with Siemens Wind Energy in Denmark. Wow! Do you get to do you get to go to Denmark as part of this project? Uh, not as of yet. It's mostly very early <laughs> morning phone calls. Very early. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So Simon, you are hey, a second. How are you? Great. Good. You're a second year student in the program. So tell me. What has been your favorite project that you've worked on in in the Bard MBA program? Uh, well, we just uh, finished up an entrepreneurship class last fall, um, and you know I, I'm I'm not at the point of thinking about starting my own business, but going through the process of a, of, of each step was was pretty cool, and we. Uh, we came up with this with this really fun model for a community land trust that was like the mix of a mall and a and a you know community center. So I think I can change the world now. So, I've, great, I've always known you could, I've always known you could change the world, Simon. <laughs> Thanks. Jeff. So uh, with that, I will just uh, remind anyone on the call to hit mute so we don't hear you eating your lunch, or if you happen to be on the West Coast. Um, cooking up your breakfast. So, um, Simon, Sam, I'll let you take it away. Thank you, Jeff. Um, just by way of introduction, uh, Margaret Fenwick is Manager of Environment and Climate at the United Nations Global Compact. It is the UN's corporate responsibility initiative for businesses that are committed to aligning their operations and strategies with 10 universally accepted principles in the areas of human rights, labor, environment, and anti-corruption, as well as take actions that advance societal goals. There are over 12,000 participants in 170 countries. Uh, Ms. Fenwick has extensive experience in the field of environment and climate change. She currently oversees outreach and communications for Caring for Climate, the UN's business leadership initiative aimed at advancing the role of the private sector in combating climate change. 
Caring for Climate is comprised of 450 companies from 65 countries. Ms. Fenwick holds a master's degree in sustainable development and environmental management from Harvard University, as well as a master's degree in Spanish language from Middlebury College Language Schools. Margaret, thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you, Sam and Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, for those unfamiliar with the UN Global Compact, can you give a brief overview of the UNGC and the Caring for Climate Initiative and, and tell us a bit about the role that you play there? Great. Thanks. Happy to do so. I think, you know, in that introduction, you kind of painted a nice broad picture um, that we are the UN's corporate sustainability platform. It's the gateway for business to engage with the UN, but also to engage with the UN principles uh, and the upcoming sustainable development agenda that, that became effective in September of last year. Um, we are the world's largest corporate sustainability platform. Um, with over 8,000 corporate company participants. This is a combination of both companies and SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises. From a, a, around 160, I, I think our number right now is 162 countries. Um, we work with these companies, um, all companies that wish to engage with us, to operate responsibly. That's one part um, of our engagement with them. And then the second part is to also encourage them and work with them to take strategic action to support society. So in working with them responsibly, we ask business first to align uh, and commit to working on the 10 principles of the Global Compact. As the introduction said, these principles are in the areas of human rights, labor, environment, and anti-corruption. Once business is beginning to act responsibly, then we encourage them to take strategic action to support greater societal goals. And with this new sustainable development agenda, the 2030 Agenda of the UN, with a set of 17 sustainable development goals, or SDGs, as they're referred to often, uh, we're working with companies to, to operationalize and implement these SDGs. Um, that's pretty much the global compact. I could go on forever because we do amazing work in many different areas. But since you asked specifically about climate change and since COP21 just took place, um, you know, one of the ways we engage uh, on climate change is through our Caring for Climate initiative. And as you said, it is the world's largest business initiative on climate change. And there, um, we're working on a very specific issue and we're working on companies so they can track their climate emissions and then also work to reduce them, engage with policymakers, and report annually on the progress they're making in the, these areas. If you'd like, I don't know if you have another question. I'm happy to go on more about the Global Compact and, and caring for climate. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, I was muted. I was I was speaking and didn't realize I was muted. Um, thank you for that introduction and overview of the UN uh, Global Compact and, and caring for climate initiative market and telling us a bit about your role there. Um, you know, at the BART MBA in sustainability, we were uh, we were sitting together um, in one of our weekend residencies when the when the Paris Agreement was signed, and, and we've all been very inspired by that achievement. And I know that the UNGC and caring for climate obviously played a major role in the lead up to COP21 and that agreement. Um, and I'm, I know that one of the reasons that uh, that this uh, agreement was able to be signed was that organizations like UNGC were able to maximize their own impact by uh, joining forces with a number of other partners. So I'd be interested to learn how these partnerships 
helps gain more corporate commitments to the initiatives you discuss, um, whether they're carbon pricing or science-based targets or any of the other initiatives. Great, happy to do so, and thank you for highlighting um, our role. It was, you know, just a wonderful opportunity to be in Paris to COP21 and and form part of that and work uh, to, you know, encourage ambition and and have, you know, business engagement, private sector engagement in this very important historic moment. Um, and this is through the Caring for Climate Business Forum. This is an annual event that takes place at every at the COP meetings at the end of each year. And the COP, just for those who don't know, is the Conference of the Parties of uh, the UNFCCC, the United Nations Framework Convention for Climate Change. So COP21 means that this group, uh, member states of the UN, have been meeting for 21 years to discuss climate change. And this year we were very, um, you know, it was a very special year. There was a multi-stakeholder pillar and approach called the Lima Paris Action Agenda. And part of the Lima Paris Action Agenda was engaging business. And Caring for Climate took the lead, as you say, with many partners to bring the voice of business officially to the COP21 climate meetings through our business forum. Um, and, you know, we, of course, we, we would not have been able to do that without our partners at Caring for Climate. And we have different levels of partnership for different reasons. We have our strategic or our UN partners. So not only is it the global compact behind Caring for Climate, it's a partnership between the United Nations Environment Program, UNEP, and the UNFCCC, the framework convention that sets up the COP. It's these three UN entities um, that are behind Caring for Climate. The Secretary General, Ban Ki-moon, of the United Nations, it launched Caring for Climate in 2007. And these three partners, UN partners, we've been working together and, and um, you know, to reach this goal of, of bringing the voice of business uh, to these international meetings. And, and it, COP21 was great. In addition to the UN partners, though, um, we take a very multi-stakeholder approach. So we engage our strategic partners with Caring for Climate. These are organizations that engage business on climate issues, such as uh, CDP, the Climate Group, the Prince of Wales Corporate Leaders Group, as well as we'd like to include the investor community. Um, we work with the PRI, the Principles for Responsible Investment, as well as UNEPFI, the Finance Initiative of UNEP. Um, those are strategic partners that collaborate on our work ongoing throughout the year. And this year for the Business Forum, we had specific forum partners, another level of partnerships. Um, with partners that just wanted to bring, a, you know, a little bit of content specifically for this COP21. Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that, Margaret. And thanks for uh, talking a little bit about uh, those multi-stakeholder partnerships. And I think that, that those are just so important um, if, we're, if we're going to really make, you know, they were so important for the, for the Paris Agreement, but they'll be, you know, important for, for the future and, and implementing a lot of the, the agreements that, that came out of, of Paris. So looking to the future, I'm, I'm really interested to hear more about, you know, what the UN Global Compact and Caring for Climate specifically are, are going to do with the Sustainable Development Goals and Paris Agreement to uh, really move business um, from these commitments and from this agreement towards implementation of, of really uh, moving forward on the climate agenda. Yeah, I think 
it's, it's great to have a question that's forward-looking. I think uh, we're, we're riding the crest of the wave out of Paris and with the new sustainable development goals. And, um, you know, we're, we're poised and ready to work with business to work on implementation of these global agendas that have been agreed universally by the member states of the United Nations. Um, you know, the Global Compact continues to work with companies that become uh, participants in the Global Compact to first operate, you know, to operate responsibly in these 10 principles um, in human rights, labor, environment, and anti-corruption. That's always a starting point for, for companies when they join us. But, um, you know, as mentioned, once these companies are be on, on the road and acting of corporate sustainability and acting responsibly, uh, then we're, we're, you know, we're working with them to identify strategically opportunities to advance these greater societal goals. And these are the, the, the SDGs, the set of 17 sustainable development goals. So looking forward, um, continuing working around our principles, but then also companies that are ready to engage on the greater societal goals, we are working to help identify opportunities for the private sector within each sustainable development goal, within each SDG, for companies to identify an opportunity, create solutions, and help implement those solutions, always from a multi-stakeholder perspective. I think the 17th goal is um, my favorite, which is for partnerships, um, partnerships for the goals. That's the final goal of the 17 SDGs. And I think that's also something that we're going to be encouraging and working with the private sector to help guide the private sector in identifying opportunities in each of these goals, and then also helping them implement these solutions, create solutions for these opportunities um, or for the problems. And finding opportunity, I guess, is better to say finding opportunity in the cre through the creation of solutions, and then not doing it alone. Um, I think there's a wonderful saying. Uh, I was told it was African. I haven't done my research, but if we want to go, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, and I think that's that's a wonderful thing to keep in mind that a multi-stakeholder approach is needed through the implementation stage of of the goals. And the Global Compact stands ready um, to assist in companies to help identify. Um, just to to kind of show our our website, we've just recently revamped it. Um, to focus on the goals, uh, on the implementation of the goals. Uh, we have a sustainable development goal SDG matrix um, for companies to begin exploring these goals and identifying opportunities and solutions they can provide. And then this coming summer on June 22nd and 23rd is the Triennial Global Compact Leaders Summit where the SDGs are going to be the core theme of this summit and the implementation of the SDGs will be the core theme as well. So um, the, ball is, the ball is rolling and we're here to help, help the private sector in the implementation phase of, of these goals. Great. So uh, speaking of the, the UNGC Leader Summit, uh, can you tell us about, you know, among the multiple stakeholders, who will be attending, uh, what kind of stakeholders will be attending and the kind of conversations that will be taking place? And if there's really anything that the UNGC hopes to accomplish at the summit? Right. So, um, you know, thanks for asking that question. I know our summit team, our events team, and, and, you know, different groups around the office are meeting right now outside the room where I'm speaking, discussing the, the plans for the Leaders Summit. 
Um, we do know that SDGs are the core, and I think basically the idea is to engage at, a, as I said, this multi-stakeholder level. So the audience will be, of course, our business participants, executives from companies and small and medium enterprises, representatives from the global compact local networks. We have over 80 local networks around in 80 different countries uh, around the world, so our local networks uh, will be there as well. Um, we will definitely have civil society, foundations and academia also attending the event, as well as government representatives. I think that is one of the defining factors or distinguishing factors of the United Nations Global Compact. We are the UN. Um, we are going to bring, you know, so this event will have members of different UN agencies there that specifically work and engage the private sector, but also member states are invited to attend this event. So it's very multi-stakeholder. Um, I know from my personal experience, um, when I attended the first leader summit that I was fortunate enough to attend. I, I it was probably one of the most diverse places I had ever been when it came to cultural backgrounds of people, but also the roles of the people in society. But of course, business is, you know, it is speaking directly to business in the private sector and, and the role they have. And when it comes yeah, when it, and just to say, um, you know, these events, one, another thing that's very specific and special to the Global Compact is these are very engaging events. We have often um, roundtable discussions. We really want participants to roll up their sleeves in a multi-stakeholder setting and to be discussing, um, to be listening as well. Part of discussion is listening, listening, discuss, hash out, um, you know, solutions for these goals, and also gain perspective other people's perspectives from different parts of society in order to address, um, you know, these goals and at the end of the day, you know, create the world we want. Great. So uh, having policymakers be, be part, you know, part of this multi-stakeholder approach, and, and that's a large part of the Caring for Climate Initiative, is, is sort of imploring business leaders to engage in policymakers um, on climate policy. How, how this, you know, outside of the summit, how can businesses uh, engage policymakers in such a way? And, and is, is there any kind of support that the UNGC or Caring for Climate provides in this regard? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful question. And um, that's also, you know, a, when Caring for Climate started to have its business forum at the COP climate meetings, immediately it was on our radar that we needed to address the subject of responsible corporate engagement in climate policy. In other words, responsible lobbying. So we took a step back from programming, or a step forward, I guess I should say, and decided to do some in-depth research with a number of partners. And we created a guide for corporate uh, engagement, responsible corporate engagement in climate policy. And this um, is a, was a flagship and still is a flag, flagship publication and piece of guidance that we have. It was created with a number of partners, um, the World Resource Institute, WRI, CDP, WWF, um, Ceres, and the Climate Group. Um, and since then, more partners have joined this initiative as well. And we took it from a lens from a company's perspective. What are the things internally they needed to do in order to get on the road to responsible corporate engagement in policy? How to responsibly engage with policymakers? And we discovered there were, you know, we identified five core elements. Um, which were legitimacy, opportunity, consistency, accountability, and transparency. So the guide, I won't go into too much detail, but basically, you know, one of the roles we have is producing guidance 
for the private sector on how to, you know, positively engage um, and responsibly engage in, in po with policymakers. Got a bit of feedback on that one, but um, and it, can this approach be used um, for all levels of policy engagement? I'm talking, you know, sort of the national scale, as opposed to even as far down as the municipal scale and in between. Is there is there a difference in approach that you encourage companies to take? No, I think um, that's a very very good question. I think you know the the basics and the fundamental elements of policy engagement when it comes for, for a corporation or a business or even an SME, a small company, these basics that I had mentioned before, the core elements and, and some key actions, um, they can be translated to any context. There are other elements, for example, that may be at a more national or international level. For example, when it comes to um, businesses, companies, and the trade associations that they belong to. Um, for example, an international or a national trade association that is actually lobbying on behalf of its members. So that's those are that might need a different approach. Um, but when it comes to the company itself engaging with policymakers, you know these core elements, uh, you know, stand true. Um, you know the you know accountability, transparency. You know also the, getting the internal ducks aligned within an organization in order to positively engage. That's that's consistent throughout, no matter. What policy maker you're engaging with? Great, thanks. Uh, before I move on to the next question, if I could just um, ask all of our listeners uh, to remember to mute uh, their questions, um, and we can unmute when we come to the portion when we uh, do listener questions. Um, moving from uh, policymakers to stakeholders, uh, I sort of want to ask about consumers as stakeholders. So many of our listeners aren't, you know, they're not policymakers, or they're, maybe they're not running large corporations, at least not yet. Their biggest role at the moment probably is as a consumer. So I guess my question is, how can consumers signal to businesses that climate action is important to them? And sort of how can we encourage businesses to become either signatories of the Caring for Climate Pledge or at least operate in a way that's consistent with it? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I'm going to have to take off, in a sense, my global compact hat and put on my consumer hat and sure. and to, you know answer it from that angle with the the background knowledge that I have. Um, and I think about the products I consume and where I could have the most impact. And I think um, for me personally, as a consumer, when I'm thinking about the impact of my consumption, it's funny because I'm, I'm thinking about like my, um, what is my action doing to the climate? Not necessarily what is the person who's selling me the product what's their impact on the environment, I make it a lot more personal. Um, so I think it's a tough question to answer, um, but what immediately comes to mind for me personally is, because I can't, unless I'm writing a letter to, the, to a company as a consumer, it's really hard to get the message across, but um, many of us work for organizations that provide a retirement plan, a 401k or a 403b, or we have okay. our own personal investments. And what immediately comes to the front of my mind with this is, you know, I'm actually a consumer. I'm consuming a fund or I'm um, putting my money, the notion of voting with your dollar. Um, you know, my day-to-day -day purchases and impacts are very important, but also I think um, in choosing perhaps more socially, sustainably selected funds and options when it comes, um, it's kind of, instead of just voting with my one dollar, um, my dollar is in a pool of many more. Um, 
many more in a louder voice and an investor managing a fund that can actually put pressure. Um, perhaps we would hope an ESG, Environmental Social Governance, <clears throat> uh, when it comes to the companies they operate on. And I think um, the PRI, the Principles for Responsible Investment, uh, a sister initiative of the Global Compact focuses on this. So to answer your question, um, you know, I think the day-to-day -day consumption is, is kind of harder to have a direct impact on the companies, in my own personal opinion, but I think where I can make the biggest impact is through my long-term investment, because that's where I'm putting the most amount of money. That's, that's, that's an excellent point, and I'd have to, have to agree with that. Um, I think at this point, we'd like to open it up to any audience questions that we have, and we'll return to, to some of the questions, but I want to give uh, listeners a chance to, to chime in and get anything they've heard so far. And, has uh, piqued their interest. Yeah, any uh, questions out there? And we Go can ahead. just, uh, folks, you can just uh, uh, ask your questions just directly. You don't have to do special. Um, I had a question uh, which was really related. This is uh, Eben Goodstein. I'm director of the MBA program. Um, and my main question really was, um, this kind of balance between uh, being a first mover for a corporation and kind of getting ahead of the pack versus uh, and and really kind of I think you know sort of stepping up to pursue science-based goals um, is risky. Um, and so, what is it that motivates certain corporations to take those that lead as opposed to sort of not? I guess is the question. That's a great question. Um, and and one I'm gonna to have to think about that a little bit because you know I definitely working for example um, on the platform caring for climate we have it's a leadership platform we are trying to set the bar high we're trying to be ambitious with the programs for example through the science based targets initiative um, and this is an initiative with a number of partners that the global compact has and um, which are CDP WWF and WRI the World Resources uh, Institute. And um, what the Science-Based Target Initiative does is it tells companies, great, great that you're setting um, some targets to reduce your emissions. But what do they mean? Are they really in line with science? And science meaning this two-degree limit above pre-industrial levels of emissions that, that we're saying we can't go beyond. Um, so this wonderful platform, this initiative of science-based targets, works with companies, gives them guidance, provides them with methodology to try to reach that two-degree science-based limit. Can all companies do that um, and have the capacity internally to do that? No. But I think those companies that have the capacity and have a strategy to reduce emissions as much as possible and have a strategy that is looking forward to a low-carbon economy and are doing everything they possibly can and just are waiting for the next challenge to reduce even more, um, those are the ones that are taking that leadership position, that first mover position, um, testing the waters or even challenging themselves to actually meet a science-based target. Um, you know, I think those are the ones that have, have really gone all in on the low-carbon economy. They get it. They understand the impacts of climate change, and they also understand the opportunities with climate change. Uh, are there any particular features of those companies that you think define sort of what is it that pushes a company up front? Is it is it top is it CEO level leadership or what what is it that sort of differentiates those companies? 
Right. I think, um, I know, I, I can't speak for all companies, but for those that are in the Caring for Climate platform, it, we have a statement, and it requires CEO endorsement. Um, and having seen, you know, often at our events, hearing the CEOs get up on stage on, on a public platform and just explain how important climate change is to their core strategy, my my impression um, of having just witnessed and engaged with these companies is you definitely need senior level, C-suite, board level um, buy-in and engagement, and it needs to be part integrated into the core strategy of the company. That's definitely um, these leaders that are really these first movers. It's it, this is part of their DNA, um, addressing climate change and the risks, mitigation, adaptation. This is part of their DNA. It's not a add-on CSR program or an add-on. This is the latest theme, so we're going to create a program. Those that are really on these the cusp of um, really ambitious climate action, it's definitely part of their everyday strategy and operations to address the issue. Hi, this is Jeff. Um, just to kind of continue down this road uh, a little bit more, <clears throat> sorry, it seems like a lot of these companies that are really kind of, you know, putting all their all their eggs in this in this basket and going going full force, seems like it's kind of a, it's perceived as a leap of faith that um, that that it's it's not business as usual and it could it could backfire. Are we at a point where we're seeing any tangible results that it, it actually uh, is beneficial? And it, you know, it seems like some, more companies would be willing to jump in if they had tangible results to to point to. Right. I think um, you know, as you were. You know, as your question began, I was I, I was thinking, you know, other similar um, aspects among these leaders that are integrating the action on climate change. And another thing is is the vision and the view. They're often long term. It's a long term plan. It's not a quick win for the next three years. It's a very long term plan. Um, you know, I one company at COP21 mentioned carbon neutrality by 2030, and some people kind of laughed and. And the CEO said, no, it, to really do it well, it takes that much vision and that much of a long-term vision. Um, so I think that, that's very key, um, that it's they understand that it's actually going to be business as usual way down the road. They see the writing on the wall. Um, they understand the science. They understand that in order to be here in, you know, low-carbon society or to be able to adapt to the impacts of climate change, they need to think long-term. So um, I think the, the, the long-term vision is, is very key um, and will slowly, those leaders will slowly, business as usual is just cannot be as usual in a climate-constrained world. Just out of curiosity, um... Uh, do you know what company that was that was that was saying carbon neutral by 2030? Right, um, I, I was the president of the Global Compact um, France local network. So our local networks are often head up also by someone from the private sector or civil society, and I believe it was um, Schneider Schneider Electric. But we have many examples from different companies, um, and I'm happy if there's follow-up material to share the the. Um, the information about COP21, all the different announcements, many companies made, you know, really, you know, very visionary announcements and have serious goals that are set for the future. 
Definitely. I, I know that we post um, some show notes on the website, and I think it would be great to have some links to some of that material um, involved in the show notes. Um, Simon, right. Sam? Yeah, no, uh, that, thanks for chiming in with those questions, uh, Eben and, and Jeff. And we'll, we'll reach back out to the audience again to see if there's some additional questions later on. Um, Margaret, we've, we've started to talk a bit about the science-based targets and how leaders are, are implementing that and how Caring for Climate and Global uh, Compact are working with those leaders and encouraging that movement. Um, and I know that these, these science-based targets are really increasingly becoming the, the standard for emission reduction goals. Um, so, you know, first, for those listeners who aren't familiar with what a science-based target really is, you know, if you could, if you could, you know, explain what what that means and then as a follow-up to that um, how are you know the UN Global Compact and caring for climate helping those companies that aren't leaders that are a little wary of, of the the implications of a science-based target um, how are how are you working with those companies to, to encourage them and making the case for for setting science-based rather than um, non-science-based uh, emission reduction targets. Great. Happy to speak more to these, the science-based targets initiative. And as I mentioned, it's, it's Caring for Climate in partnership with CDP, WRI, and WWF that's right now working. And they have their own website as well as on the website of Caring for Climate. You can definitely find more information. So basically, um, a science-based target is a target adapted by companies to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the target is in line with or according to the amount of decarbonization that is needed in order to keep global temperature rise below the two degree centigrade um, limit compared, it's a limit compared to pre-industrial levels. And I think we know from COP21, you know, the, the outcome document mentions this two-degree limit, um, but it also mentions a 1.5. So I know the Science-Based Target Initiative is also taking that into consideration um, in, the, in the next stage of their planning as well. Um, so basically, it's like when a company sets their emissions reductions, just to have it, make sure that that target for reducing emissions when they meet it, when they meet that target, that it's in line with keeping it below this two-degree level. So as you can imagine, and, and you know, thankfully with the great work of WRI and WWF um, and CDP, um, the content and, and the research that is behind this initiative to decide and identify by sector how much needs to be reduced by the companies, and then looking at the company, each company that submits a target and what percentage of the sector is it. Um, so there's also this, not only is the science-based target in my mind for this scientific level of two degrees centigrade, it's also very scientifically calculated and, and approached at what is this limit for each company in different sectors. Um, so, you know, the wonderful, another thing that's really great about this initiative is companies just don't do it alone. It's not a company setting a target, thinking it's in line with science and submitting it. Um, there's methodology and guidance that is provided with these companies. They get um, guidance in, I believe they get one call, and I, I would have to check in, they get one call with the professionals in this area to go through their target, to look at what adjustments need to be made, what recalibrations need to be made um, in order to make sure that their, their target is within this two degree limit. 
Um, and wonderful thing that happened was um, at COP21, in the lead-up, this initiative was launched, launched at the beginning of the year, and in the lead-up of COP21, more and more companies joined the science-based target initiative, set their targets, got them calibrated, got them perfect, so they met this two-degree limit. And right now, we have over 100 companies that have committed to their science-based targets and meeting them. That's that's really great, uh, Margaret. And I, I appreciate you know you kind of very clearly outlining what a what a science-based target is for for our listeners, and then kind of explaining that you know that website sciencebasedtargets.org has a lot more information and kind of all the the companies who have made this commitment. Um, and I think it's it's an, an incredibly important initiative, uh, and I'm excited to to see the numbers of companies committing to it uh, climbing. Um, I know another initiative that is extremely important and that Caring for Climate has, has been involved with uh, as well as other uh, partners is, is really moving businesses to put a price on carbon. And I know that uh, carbon pricing has been a hot topic for a long time in, the, in, in this field and obviously not just for companies but for governments and for the, the global community. Um, but because your uh, area focuses on getting businesses to put a price on carbon, I would be interested for you to kind of talk about, you know, what carbon pricing is and what the implications are for business, and then, you know, how can businesses become kind of carbon pricing champions and, and move from just having a price on carbon to actually helping other businesses and governments and, and the global community start to really develop a uh, price on on carbon. Great. Um, well, happy to speak to to the the topic of carbon pricing. Um, it's it's a hot topic these days. We recently launched at COP21 an executive guide to carbon pricing leadership, um, and it's just been wonderful to see increased interest in this notion of carbon pricing and putting a price on carbon. It's important to distinguish. Um, one side of carbon pricing is um, national and subnational jurisdictions that are putting in place carbon pricing mechanisms. Right now, we have nearly 20 national and 20 subnational jur jurisdictions that are participating or preparing um, to put a carbon price. Uh, with some, you know, there are some markets that are already linked. So carbon pricing, um, you know, you have different, you know, we've heard about China and their, their system that they're working on in the northeast of the United States. You have Reggie, you have California, British Columbia. Um, so that's growing on the national and subnational level. But for caring for climate, um, we work with companies. And we work with individual um, businesses. Our, our signatories are our businesses. So when we saw this uh, momentum growing on carbon pricing, we took an approach of, well, what does this mean for companies? Um, you know, what does it mean for companies either operating in, in these areas? Or what would, what would a carbon price, an internal carbon price, what effect would that have on a company? So we explored this topic um, a little bit with our partners, our research partners. And before we, you know, we we said we're going to set out, we're going to create an executive guide on carbon pricing leadership. But first, what is carbon pricing leadership for a company? What does it mean to the company? And from that was born um, a, what we what we call the business leadership on carbon pricing. So to become a to become a carbon pricing champion, 
companies align with the business leadership criteria on carbon pricing. And there are three elements to this. So first, when a company decides to align with these criteria, the first point is they agree, they commit to set an internal price on carbon within their operations, to set an internal price on carbon that is high enough to affect their investment decisions that drive down greenhouse gases. Basically, I'm going to set an internal carbon price and it's going to be high enough to actually affect the decisions, my operations decisions that I'm making. The second point is to publicly advocate for the importance of carbon pricing. Yes, in my operations, I'm going to have an internal carbon price. I'm going to see how it works. I'm going to make it high enough to reduce my emissions on one side. And on the other side, I'm going to publicly advocate for carbon pricing, that it is something important. Um, putting a value on carbon will actually help us reduce the amount. It will incorporate the externalities. It will help reduce the amount um, of carbon eventually in that, that we're admitting. And I think this is something important for policymakers to take in, in, into account. So the first one is an internal price. The second is policy advocacy. And the third element is to report annually on the first two. So publicly report on what you are doing in regards to your internal carbon price and public, publicly report on what you are doing uh, when it comes to policy engagement and, and, and being um, advocating publicly for carbon pricing. And that third point I can't stress enough. Um, it's, a, it's a defining factor, a very important factor of the Global Compact and of our Caring for Climate Initiative, which is the transparency and accountability measures, reporting, reporting annually on progress. Thanks, Margaret. That was that was a, a very uh, informative answer to that, and I, I appreciate kind of you highlighting the, the three kind of key points that you drive um, when talking to businesses about carbon pricing. And I and I think that leadership element is is so important because I know that this has been one of the initiatives that's been a little bit harder to get traction with um, with businesses than some of the other uh, commitments. And I was just wondering, you know, what are what are some of the real core benefits to business that that you know the caring for climate initiative and your partners highlight when when speaking to businesses about carbon pricing you know if Sam and I were to go out tomorrow and 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 tell a business you know this is why you should have a an internal price on carbon uh, what what should we say yeah good um Good, good question. And uh, I think, you know, our executive guide, I think after you read the executive guide, you'd be able to say everything. But I think um, there's some very important factors. One is it, it's going to prepare a company. It's going to prepare a company for upcoming policies. It's going to prepare a company to reduce their emissions. It's going to, um, when, you know, it's going to help companies reduce costs associated with carbon, um, with carbon, with um with carbon pricing or with the use of any carbon-based materials such as fossil fuels. It will also help a company achieve their greenhouse gas goals. So as we spoke before with science-based targets, one of the tools to reach your science-based target can be setting an internal carbon price. And you keep on ratcheting up the price, you're going to eventually be having to reduce and reduce your emissions. So that's another aspect. Um, it can help translate climate change into financial terms. Often it may be difficult for a department um, in, a, in, in a company, in a large corporation or a small company, to get 
leadership buy-in to address climate change or to get um, the financial side of things to buy into the whole notion of addressing climate change. But by translating climate change into a price, into money, into something um, that has monetary value, it can, it can, you know, it can kind of convince, it can woo over those who see everything not only just through a financial lens and not necessarily an environmental or a long-term financial lens. Um, it can also help, setting a carbon price can help respond to investor and customer demands. Um, I know that through the PRI, carbon pricing is an issue as well. We know that ESG, environmental, social, and governance aspects, um, investors are focusing on this as well. So when a company is speaking with their with those who invest in them, they can, when they're talking about their ESG measures, they can speak about their carbon pricing as well. And I think also, you know, setting up a, a carbon price at this stage where we are right now is wonderful to work with peers and within a sector or outside a sector to learn, to test new strategies, um, to do some peer-to-peer -peer learning, as well as, you know, finding out what is the best way to set a carbon price um, that will actually be effective. And, that, you know, I think that goes back to the one of the points I said, which is actually to help meet different goals um, that a company has when it comes to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Thanks for uh, thanks for providing that follow-up. And I think Sam and I are, are ready now to, you know, we'll read the executive guide and we'll we'll go out and be our, uh, our own carbon pricing champions. Um, before That's I hand right. it over to Sam... Before I hand it over to Sam, who I know has a couple more questions, just like to open it up to the audience one more time um, as we're nearing the end of this call to see if there's any uh, questions uh, for Margaret. So, you know, just unmute and chime in with any questions. We'll give you a couple, couple seconds here, and then Sam will dig in. Um, this is Jeff. I have a, a couple more questions on this, this carbon pricing stuff, which is absolutely um, fascinating. So do you have any idea, I know for, for the last several years, some companies have been, you know, self-imposing a price on the, <clears throat> on the carbon that they're emitting. Do you have any thought about how close we are to, um, to uh, a mandatory carbon, carbon price um, or uh, which I'm, I'm, is that the same thing as saying a carbon tax? Or are we just avoiding the tax word? Uh, that's, that's another question. And I know that one of the companies, if I'm not mistaken, who has self-imposed a carbon price is um, Shell. So when a, when a, do you work with fossil fuel companies and when they're doing something like that, is it, what is, what is their motivation behind doing something like that? And then that's a lot of questions loaded into one. Right, that's a lot of questions, and I wish I had my colleague um, Jay Park here, who is actually co-author on the guide and our car carbon pricing expert. Um, so I, 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 I put in that disclaimer. I can't speak to you know specifically to all your questions, um, but I can um, I can say when it comes to where we are when it comes to a carbon price and is it a carbon tax? I mean, there, there are many different ways to put a value on carbon. Um, there are taxes, there are cap and trade, there, there are many different ways. And I think um, the, you know, the World Bank, through their Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition, 
um, is working on these issues when it comes to different nations and jurisdictions that are working on, on instituting and putting in place a carbon price. Um, you know, every it's, it's a it's it's a growing theme. There are more and more carbon markets coming on. Um, you know, as I mentioned, there are nearly 40 national and 20 subnational jurisdictions that either have some form of carbon pricing or carbon market in place or plan to within the next next few years. The World Bank also has a partnership for market readiness when it comes to carbon pricing. So um, I don't think there a, a universal global carbon price is um, is not going to be in our near future. But I think uh, there's a lot of lessons that are being learned and value being being received from these different nations and subnationals that are creating um, carbon markets. When it comes to fossil fuel companies that are setting a carbon price, there was a group of um, of fossil fuel companies that came to gas, an oil and gas coalition that came together to speak about carbon pricing and that they're putting a price on carbon. Um, you know, I can just tell you from our business forum, and I hope we can share the link so people can watch the, the videos of the CEOs from these companies speaking, um, and from all the companies, CEOs from all different companies speaking on this topic. Um, carbon pricing, just so you know, was the, um, the discussion topic for the high-level meeting of the Caring for Climate Business Forum at COP21. They all have different reasons, but at the end of the day, um, I think it goes back to they understand that um, there will be a price on carbon in the future, um, that in order for them to reduce their emissions, it's important for them to start valuing it monetarily. Um, and it's really the leaders that um, are taking a step uh, at measuring, you know, measuring their footprint. I think it also helps them understand their own operations and, and where emissions are, are, are happening throughout their supply chain and, and their own operations. Great. Well, um, if there are no more questions, Oh, sorry. If there are no uh, no more questions from the listeners, I'd like to uh, change gears a, a little bit here to talk about uh, sanitation. So we know that clean water and sanitation are one of the uh, sustainable development goals. And you also uh, co-authored a 2014 report titled Exploring the Business Case for Corporate Action on Sanitation. While the topic of sanitation and clean water access are very, it's very it's extremely important in many areas of the world, the connection to business isn't always clear. Can you discuss uh, why this issue is important to businesses and how businesses can be part of the can can address it? Yes, yes, very happy to speak to sanitation. It's one of my favorite topics. Um, this report, working on it and researching it, was just a pure delight to learn about sanitation. I think it's important that we clarify what we're talking about because um, some people often think sanitation means picking up garbage. I know I live in the city of New York, and uh, the department that handles the garbage on the street is sanitation. But um, when we're talking about sanitation in the development um, context. We're talking about um, the provision of facilities and services for the safe disposal of human urine and feces, which at the end of the day we would know in the Western world as toilets, or in the English language as toilets. So um, it's, an, it's important to know this is a very important topic. 40%, almost 40% of the global population does not have access to a toilet. 
to a safe, clean place, or even a safe place, or a place to go to the bathroom. And this is very, it's a human right. There is, in 2010, access to water and sanitation was acknowledged as a basic human right. Um, and it's also a question of dignity. We need to solve this problem just because, you know, it, it's a question of dignity. No one, no, everyone should have a place, a safe place to go to the bathroom that's proper. The impacts of this on society and then translated into business are enormous. When we just look at the health impacts of this, every 20 seconds a child dies due to lack of access to clean water and sanitation. How is that? It's because these children are dying from diarrhea, and the issue is diarrhea is happening because there is no access to sanitation. The, um, you know, the, the microbial, uh, all, you know, the germs, I guess, to, for lack of a better word right now, um, you know, that just of sanitation, just it's so important. Um, it can lead to so many diseases and eventually death. And, of course, children before the age of five are, are the most at risk with this and the most delicate part of their life. Um, and, unfortunately, they can die easily from dehydration and, 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 um, or from diarrhea, which, comes from, which causes dehydration. So that's just one, like, just to get a notion of how serious this topic is, 40% of the children have a toilet and, you know, half a million children die every year from diarrhea due to poor water and sanitation services. This translated in the business sense, what does this mean? You can break it down into different areas such as productivity. Um, you know, diarrheal diseases um, really impede human health and productivity. Um, there's an issue with gender and, and education and gender equality. If we don't provide wash services, wash water, sanitation, and hygiene in the schools, we have a lot of girls when they reach menstrual age that are dropping out of school because they have nowhere safe or clean mm -hmm. to take care of themselves, take care of their own personal hygiene. Um, economically, the economic losses associated with inadequate san sanitation are estimated at $260 billion a year. But they say every dollar spent on sanitation can bring an average return of more than $5. So we're, it's just a huge economic loss that's happening. Um, and I think also water resources. I would think that if I were a, a company operating and I need clean water sources, well, you can't have clean water sources if you, don't, if you aren't disposing properly of sanitation. Um, so, you know, you need proper sanitation in order to have clean water services. I think we all understand how important clean water is, but we can't have it unless we're disposing properly of sanitation. And unfortunately, 80% of sewage in the world goes untreated. So that's just kind of a little bit of um, a, a bird's eye view of sanitation. I don't think we want to go too deep into it, but um, that's those, you know, I'm happy to share, again, the link on this white paper on the business case for acting on sanitation. No, that's that's great. Thank you for making that that connection. It's a connection that I think sometimes is is a bit overlooked, at least between sanitation and business. And and as sustainability professionals, I think it's something that we need to become more familiar with. Right. Um, I think um, often we might take for granted those signs in the bathrooms that we're so fortunate to have. Those employees must wash their hands before going to work, or the fact that we can wash our hands every day and 
and we magically flush something and everything disappears and don't have to worry about it. Um, but I think that's the first step that businesses can take is to make sure that the, in their own facilities, everyone has access to water, sanitation, and hygiene facilities. All employees, regardless of gender or age or ability or disability. And then to have that extend to their employees' homes and the communities in which they operate. Those two simple actions can go a very, very long way. Um, th th thanks for that, Margaret. I know we're nearing the end, but just as a super quick follow-up that, you know, if, if you could just build out a little bit of kind of what a, what like a multinational corporation might be able to do in this in this space is it is it supplier engagement is it um, you know who might not be operating in in nations where this where this is an actual issue but part of their value chain hits it um, and I know we're near in the end so you know no maybe have to highlight that, that one quickly I think you hit the nail on the head saying supply chain um, I think you know the age of ultra hyper transparency is here. I think companies are being held accountable for what their suppliers are doing, and companies have a lot of power over their suppliers. So I think uh, large corporations, large multinationals can actually work to make sure that their suppliers, the factories that provide them with their goods, et cetera, um, are, are addressing sanitation. And then I also think large multinationals, um, wrap, you know, going back to what I said about the SDGs, can can look at this specific SDG on clean water and sanitation and identify opportunities, perhaps for providing sanitation services or products. Um, thank you for that. And as we wrap up, I, I think we'd be remiss, um, since a lot of our listeners are MBA students, if we didn't ask uh, about your career path and how you came to your current position and uh, any any advice you can offer, um, offer students that are looking to follow in, in a similar path. Great. Um, happy happy to share a little bit of my background. I'm actually um, I wasn't planning on on working on corporate sustainability many years ago. I was I went to graduate school as a linguist uh, and a, and I became a, a language teacher. Um, so I'm a career changer. It was after teaching and writing for a few years that I realized that actually um, corporate sustainability and sustainability in general was a topic that very much interested me. Um, so I went back to school uh, to study uh, sustainable development and environmental management. And through my studies, I also realized, you know, I definitely pinpointed the private sector as a key player in this, and I felt I could make the most traction. So um, I am a career changer, and I, I know many BARD students are as well, or they're in one role right now or one position right now and are looking forward to transition. So I think my advice would be um, to do not discount the skills and knowledge you have already have in your, your professional toolkit. Um, take time to look at them and assess them and translate them into this new field of sustainability that, that you would like to go into. That's really uh, inspirational and, and a helpful comment, Margaret. And I know if you, if you ever were to visit the, the BART MBA in sustainability on one of our weekend residencies, uh, at the Impact Hub, you would you would hear a, a very diverse set of backgrounds from former uh, you know video and movie producers to um, nonprofit professionals and people in the government field, all kind of looking to engage in the space. So it's helpful to hear that you know you came from a, a, a linguistics background and, and ended up um, being at the at the head of uh, at a, a you know a movement that, that led uh, 
really great. Um, and you know, it's about to be 1 p.m. and you probably have things to do. And I and I know it's been a long week for you, so I don't want to take any more of your time. But you know, I know Sam and I really appreciate uh, you speaking with us this afternoon. Um, and I think it was a really uh, engaging and interesting conversation. I, I learned a lot, and I was really excited that we uh, were able to to get in a question about uh, your sanitation paper as well. Cause I, I started to read it, and it's it's really uh, it's fascinating stuff that I don't think we've talked too much about at the Bard MBA and sustainability. So, um, you know, that's that's thank you for me. And I don't know if Sam or Eben or Jeff has has anything to say, but uh, we really appreciate it. I just want to echo my appreciation and, and for taking the time to speak with us. Great. Thank you so much, Sam, Simon, Ethan, Jeff, and everyone who, who's listening to this. I'm happy um, to provide more information on the work we do at the UN Global Compact. Um, so please reach out to me. You can find me online at Margaret Fenwick and Global Compact, and I'll pop up. That's great. Margaret, thank you again for taking the time to join us. Sam and Simon, thanks for all the great research you did into uh, navigating the conversation. And um, our next Sustainable Business Friday will be next Friday. We'll be talking to Eric Henry, uh, president of TS Designs. So that's going to be a completely different kind of conversation, but um, I'm sure equally enlightening and amazing. So um, with that, thank you, everyone, and have a great weekend.